to turn your attention again to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. I'd like to read this morning verses 8 and 9. Matthew chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called. Notice, they shall be called the children of God. One of the identifying marks of a child of God is that they are a peacemaker. Not every child of God necessarily be a peacemaker. Uh, And you don't become a peacemaker in order to be a child of God. But he says, a peacemaker will be called a child of God. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, obviously, every child of God that's born of the Spirit of God has a pure heart. Now, the Bible lets us know that in the process, or the act of regeneration, rather, I believe it's really a process, it's an act, it's an immediate act. When the child of God is born of the Spirit of God, the Bible lets us know that God does a heart operation. Uh, He calls it being circumcised in the heart. The children of Israel in the Old Testament day were very concerned about being circumcised in the flesh, which God had given that commandment to Abraham when he was an aged man as a token or a sign of a covenant that God had made with Abraham. A, a circumcision is simply a circle cutting. And a lot of times some of the covenants God has made with man, the token of that would be in a circle showing the full promise of God. For instance, when uh, God commanded, or told Noah that he would no longer destroy or any more destroy the earth with water. Now the day's coming he will destroy the world, but he will not destroy the world by water. He destroyed the world that then was, the Bible says, through the flood. But he also let Noah know that he would set his bow in the sky. And that every time that God looked upon the bow, the rainbow, God would remember his covenant. Now when I see a rainbow, I see an arch. Uh, But when God sees a rainbow, he sees a full circle. In fact, I've heard of airline pilots that have seen rainbows and reported and taken pictures, and it's a full circle. It's not a half circle like we see. We just see part of it, but God sees the whole thing. shows the full promise. Well, when a child of God is born of the Spirit of God, there's also a circle cutting, if you will, and that is a sign of the promise of God in the heart of the child of God. He lets us know that he will remove a stony heart and instead put in its place a heart of flesh. So like in Acts chapter 2 when the disciples were preaching there on the day of Pentecost, it says there were men there that were pricked in the heart. And what did they say? They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, the gospel message of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and being indicted with the act of crucifying the Son of God, it pricked them in the heart. You know how it pricked them in the heart? Because they had a heart that could feel. And so being pricked in the heart, their response was, men and brethren, what shall we do? If we've done wrong, we acknowledge we've done wrong, what can we do to make it right? Peter says, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Now later you'll find that the apostle Peter will be preaching. And he's preaching to some Jewish leaders and they did not love the Lord. Those men in Acts 2 that were pricked in the heart, they loved the Lord because the Lord gave them a heart that was able to love the Lord. But later you're going to find that the apostles will be preaching to some Jewish leaders who do not love the Lord 
They hate the Lord. And so the Bible says that when they preached to them, they were cut to the heart. So the first group was pricked in the heart. The other group was cut to the heart. Big difference. In other words, the gospel message, it only went so far. Because when it came to them, it met a stony heart and it had no impact upon the heart. What it did, it angered the mind, but it did not soften the heart. The preaching of the gospel will never soften the heart of a dead alien sinner. The gospel message cannot give the dead alien sinner a new heart. I'm not a heart surgeon in the gospel preaching. That's not my capability. There's a lot of folks in this world that believe the gospel message will born people again. But that won't happen. You can preach to a dead alien sinner all day long, all week long, all year long, all their life long. And all you've got at the end of that is a dead alien sinner. But you know, the Lord Jesus Christ can speak to a dead alien sinner. And in that moment that he speaks, immediately they're alive and now they have a pure heart. So again, he said, blessed are they pure in heart for they shall see God. Ezekiel chapter 36 once again tells us how we obtain a pure heart. We obtain a pure heart because God in regeneration gives us a pure heart. Uh, if you would turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 for a moment. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the apostle Peter addresses this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he lets us know beginning in verse 15. He says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Now, the word conversation in the Bible often means more than just our talk. You know, that's about the way we use conversation. We limit it in our day and time, our conversation, you know, a, a, a talk between two people. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of conversation, and a lot of it's good, and a lot of it's not good. <laughs> but the word conversation in the Word of God indicates more than just uh, somebody talking. It talks about our manner of life. Uh, you know, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, it says, for our conversation is in heaven. Now, in the center column, let's say citizenship, but what that means is our life is in heaven. Our conversation is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like to his glorious body. Well, here the apostle Peter tells us, he says, but that as he which hath called you is holy. Who's called us? God. He said, as he is holy, he says, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means in every manner of our life. That means what we say. The Bible talks about that. It lets us know that our speech is to be seasoned with salt. Our speech is to be with grace to the hearer. Uh, it also talks about the conduct of our hands. It talks about the conduct of our feet where we go. It talks about what we think. It talks about what we see. It talks about what we hear and talks about what we say. It talks about what we feel. All of the emotions of man are to be controlled by the new heart that's given us in regeneration. So when God gives us a new heart and to be pure in heart, it ought to be indicated by the way in which we live our life. The Bible makes it clear that out of the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You'll know a man by his fruits. Before long, his fruits, his actions will indicate whether he has a pure heart or whether he has an evil heart. Well, anyway, again, it says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Then he says, because it is written. He says, it is written for you and I. It's in Leviticus chapter 11. If you want to go find where it's written, verse 44. He says, 
Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, I've always struggled with this verse. (laughs) Here's God the Father telling me and telling you to be just as holy as he is. Well, I realize that the Bible also teaches that I'm a sinner by nature. And I'm going to be a sinner by nature until I lay down this nature. And I'm not going to lay down this nature until one of two things happen. Either I die or the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. The Bible says, lust when it's conceived bringeth forth sin, and sin when it's finished bringeth forth death. That's found in the book of James. The one bright spot of that verse is that sin is finished at death. Uh, Sin won't bother you or me anymore when we die. Now the Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, we shall not all sleep. That means we will not all die. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Uh, So the day is coming that every one of us will be changed in the image of the Lord Jesus. Now not all of us are going to die. Some folks are going to be around when the Lord comes back. They're not going to experience sleep. But they are going to experience change. Now, all the children of God, whether dead or alive, they'll all be changed. We won't all die. But sin is going to be with us until we die or the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. That's just a reality. As much as I would like that sin would no longer be a part of the child of God when they're born of the Spirit of God, according to the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, you and I are still subject to vanity. Uh, We're still subject to this world, to the pleasure of this world. We're still drawn and enticed by the lust of this world. Uh, We have to be careful about the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the uh, lust of the eyes. All those things uh, are in the world, they're after the world, and they're always after us. But here the Apostle Peter tells us that God has said, Be ye holy as I am holy. That means it is my responsibility and yours to try to live every day, every moment of every day, in a way that's pleasing to God the Father. That takes us being circumspect. That means we are paying attention. That means that we are diligent and we are attentive to the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we speak, the way that we act. All those things we're supposed to be constantly mindful of. You know, to be a Christian, you can't put it on cruise control. Now, driving up to Georgia on Thursday, uh, I put it on cruise control on I-95. I was over in Port St. Lucie and had to start out my trip to Georgia from there. And so I went up I-95 to I-16, and on both those interstates, I had it on cruise control. But, you know, I still had to pay attention to what's going on. The pickup I have has got some wonderful features to it. It's got lane assist, and if I get too close to a vehicle, it starts beeping at me. If I start veering over into a different lane, the steering wheel turns itself back. I mean, that thing will almost drive itself, uh, and uh, it's kind of nice in some respects, but then when I get in my other vehicle, it don't have all that, and if I'm not careful, I'm used to it. But, you know, I still have to be mindful, because it don't put the brakes on for me. Now, it'll beep at me, let me know I need to put on the brakes. It'll steer a little bit for me, but I can't just take my mind off what's going on driving down the interstate. Uh, you know, they're talking about, uh, you know, automated cars where you won't do any of the driving. You just sit back. That kind of worries me. I don't know about that because uh, every, every bit of technology I've ever encountered always gets bugs, always has a problem. And it just be <laughs> my fortune in life to be going down the interstate and somebody else's vehicle have a, uh, you know, a bug in the computer all of a sudden come give me a head on collision. So anyway, you can't put your life on cruise control serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to be intentional every single day if you're going to be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus. So here Peter says, be ye holy as I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect a person judgeth according to every man's work, past the time, he says, of your sojourning here in fear. He says, for as much as you know. 
So why am I to be holy and why am I to pass my sojourning here in fear? He says, for as much as you know as you, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. So how, was, how were we redeemed? How was we redeemed? How were we redeemed then? He just says we were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold. Uh, we couldn't purchase it. You didn't have enough money. You couldn't buy it. He says, nor uh, from the vain conversation, the vain lifestyle, he said, received by tradition from your fathers. He's talking to Jews here. He's talking about Jews who are scattered into various parts of the world. He says they had a vain lifestyle that came by tradition from the fathers. Well, it came from Moses all the way down. He's talking about the law service. He says, so you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. You didn't have enough money to buy it. He says, and the lifestyle you lived under the law, thinking that that was going to save you, he says, that won't do it. Uh, so how in the world then do we get a pure heart? Uh, how in the world is it that we're going to have a good standing before God? Well, how can I be holy as he is holy if I don't have enough money to buy it and there's no lifestyle that I can live in order to please him enough to uh, obtain salvation and make him pleased? Well, he goes on and lets us through. He says, we were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he says, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. He says, who, meaning us, by him, meaning Jesus, <laughs> believe in God. How do you believe in God? Because Jesus has made a way for you to be able to believe in God. You understand that a, a child of God, even born of the Spirit, just doesn't automatically believe in the truth of salvation by grace. How many times have you, as a member of the body of Christ, tried to reach out to somebody who don't understand the doctrines of grace? You can tell they're a child of God. You know they love the Lord. Uh, and you try to talk to them about the doctrines of grace, and it just seems to fall on deaf ears. Well, the problem is they need not only an individual to help show them that, they also need the Lord to open up their mind and their heart and their ears in order to receive these things. B says that you and I, we believe in God by Jesus, that God who raised him up from the dead gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Then he says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned, that means sincere love of the brethren, see that you love one another, he says, with a pure heart fervently. So here the apostle Peter, he writes to these Jews, he lets them know, he says, you're to be holy as God is holy. He says, and by the way, uh, you're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. He says, you don't have enough money to buy it. He says, and it's not by the vain conversation, the vain lifestyle that you receive by tradition from your fathers. He says, that's not going to do it. He says, but you redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, who as a lamb without spot and without blemish uh, was fairly, uh, verily foreordained before the foundation of the world and manifest in these last times for you. In other words, salvation has always been by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the Old Testament saints, how they get to heaven? It wasn't by keeping the law of Moses. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died for their sins, his blood covered them just as well as his blood covered us. He says, but he was manifest, it's revealed, he says, in these last times for us. He says, and you and I now believe in God by him. He says, it raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. He says, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth. So once we have by God believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's some purifying that goes on in the heart of the child of God. Notice what he says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. 
So not only believing the truth, but obeying the truth. So there is some purifying that goes on in your life when you obey the truth of the Word of God. Now you cannot believe nor obey the truth of the Word of God unless first you're born of the Spirit of God. And he's going to go on and say that here in the next verse. He says, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned, again that means sincere love of the brethren. He says, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. That means continually. <clears throat> he says, being born again. He didn't say if you do this, you will be born again. You know, if you'll just believe, if you'll just obey, if you'll just love, then you'll be born again. Well, you can't believe and you can't obey and you can't love unless first you are born again. Notice how the language is. He says, being born again. That's something that's already occurred. That's a state we already are in. Uh, the individual who is trying to be holy, the individual who loves the Lord and loves the brethren, who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and obeys the truth is a person who is already born again. He says, being born again, not of corruptible seed. He says, not being born of this world, like uh, the Lord taught Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, not of corruptible seed, he said, but of incorruptible. He says, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, there are those in this world that believe that gospel preaching regenerates children of God. And this is one of the verses they go to. They say, well, look there. It says, it's the word of God that we were born again by. Well, keep reading. He says in verse 25, he says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So the word under consideration there is not the written word that I have laying before me. Uh, the word that we're talking about is the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the living word is preached to you by the gospel. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that preaches to you about the eternal living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the eternal living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, that borns you again. Uh, you were not born again by hearing the gospel. You were born again by the Spirit of God. And here the Apostle Peter lets us know that you and I have been born by the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever. He says, and this is the Word which by the gospel is preached to you. So there's a difference in the Word here, this Word at least, and the gospel. Here even the Apostle Paul makes that clear uh, when he writes um, about the Word in uh, Hebrews chapter five, 4. He says, the Word of God is quick. That word quick means alive. It don't mean fast. Uh, we use the word quick, you know, it'd be speedy, be uh, quick about something, be fast about something. That's not what the word in the Bible means. The word quick in the Bible means alive. <clears throat> My grandmother used to talk a lot about when she would uh, trim her nails and all that, that she had cut herself to the quick. Uh, what she meant by that, I've cut myself to the living part. You all understand that our uh, fingernails, you know, they're just dead skin that uh, uh, whatever all the chemicals are, whatever that makes it up, but it's just a dead part of the body. But if you cut deep enough, you'll get, as she would say, to the quick, meaning to that which is alive. Well, Paul says that the word is quick. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. He says it's able to pierce asunder to the dividing of the soul and spirit and even bone and marrow. So that's obviously not talking about the written word, the Bible. That's talking about the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is alive. Now, the word of God here, meaning the written word to me is, understand, it is a dead book in this sense. It is sealed. It's not to be added to. It's not to be taken from. You know, there are a lot of folks in our uh, country today that want to believe that our Constitution is a living document. 
What they mean by that is it's ever-changeable. You know, you just got to change it to suit the times. Well, there's a lot of folks that read the Bible the same way. That it's a living word in the sense that it's always changeable according to the times. Well, if you read the Bible with an honest uh, mind and heart, you'll find that it's ahead of time. It's ahead of the times. Uh, so anyway, here when he says that the word of God is quick, he's not talking about the Bible. The Bible is a sealed book. Now the Bible, if you read the Bible, can convict, but that's still the spirit of God is doing that. So anyway, the apostle Peter makes it very clear in 1 Peter chapter 1 that you and I are supposed to be holy. And you and I can purify our souls uh, by obeying the truth. And he says, and not only that, we can have sincere love of the brethren. He says, and we're to see that we love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now look at James, the fourth chapter for just a moment. In James chapter four, he says in verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God. He says, resist the devil and he will flee. Then he says in verse 8, draw nigh to God, draw near to God, and he will draw near not, uh, nigh to you. Then he says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Notice that again, he says, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. You want God near to you? I do. Now God's always nearby. Uh, Paul said in Acts chapter 17 on the uh, sermon there on the Mars Hill, that he's not far from every one of us. In him we live, we move, we have our being. God's always right here, but we don't always realize that God is right here. I want to live in such a way that I feel that God is right here. And here the apostle, uh, excuse me, the writer James, James this James is not an apostle. Uh, he is a minister, but he wasn't an apostle. But anyway, this James, he says, draw nigh to God. So there's a responsibility after you and I are born of the Spirit of God to draw near to God. He says, if we'll draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And then he goes on to say, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. How do you clean your hands? Now, he's not talking about go out to the uh, uh, bathroom right now and use some uh, Dove soap and wash your hands. Uh, now, please do. <laughs> uh, uh, I hope we've learned one thing at least in the pandemic. Wash your hands. <laughs> I hope that lesson's gotten taught. I hope that got across. Wash your hands. But that's not the kind of cleansing that he's talking about here. If we're going to have a clean heart, we first must have clean hands. So in other words, it's how we live our life, the things that we're doing. He says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And he says, purify your hearts. Now, how do I purify my heart? Well, he tells us in the very same phrase. He says, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So one of the eight ways in which you and I have a pure heart is to have a single mind. On Friday... <clears throat> Uh, I preached on Friday afternoon, and ahead of me, Elder Wynn Cook preached. And Brother Wynn got up and uh, had just been asked just a few minutes before he got up about uh, preaching, and he had a, a very busy day at work. And so Brother Wynn, when he got up there, mentioned about how his mind had been in two places all that morning because of a work situation. Well, as he was saying that, my work phone was just buzzing after buzz after buzz with emails, so I'm literally having to answer emails as Brother Wynn's up there preaching about that very thing. I was double-minded because uh, I'm trying to listen to him, and at the same time, I'm trying to respond to some things that needed my immediate response. I couldn't delay. Uh, and so there I was, double-minded in what was going on. And so I didn't pay as good of attention as I should have uh, because my mind was on two different things at one time. And you know, before I would hit send, I always do this anyway, or always try to, I always go back to the first of an email and read it before I hit send. But if I'm distracted like that, 
Uh, I read it a couple times, and sent it off. but as I'm doing all that, obviously my mind is in two places at one time. You know what happens when your mind is in two places at one time? If you're not careful, you're going to get yourself hurt, get other people hurt, or you're going to do something wrong. And so it's important that when we're doing something, that we try to have our whole mind on that. You know, the Bible says here in the book of James that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Well, here, one of the ways you and I purify our heart before God is to not be double-minded, is to be single-minded. Well, where is my mind supposed to be? My mind is supposed to be on the Lord, on the kingdom of God, and on the word of God. And if I have my mind on the Lord, and on the kingdom, and on his word, uh, then a lot of the problems in life just kind of dissipate and fall away. If I'm thinking about him, I'm not going to be thinking wicked thoughts. If I'm trying to see the Lord, I'm not going to be looking at wicked things. If I'm trying to hear the Lord, I'm not going to listen to ungodly things. If I'm trying to feel after the Lord because I have a mind for the Lord, then I'm hopefully not going to feel things that I shouldn't be feeling. I won't be doing things with my hands I shouldn't be doing and going places where I should not be going. So one of the ways that we purify our hearts is to uh, put our minds singly as much as we possibly can upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not difficult in theory. Uh, it's not hard. It's not complicated. But here's where the difficulty is. How many of you, since I've been preaching this morning, have let your mind wander to other things? Have you sat there and thought about what you've got to do this afternoon? Now, one good thing about preaching is I, I have to put my whole mind on it. Uh, it's hard for me to think two thoughts at the same time when I'm up preaching. It would be a train wreck, I assure you. Every once in a while, it does happen. I have to really, really focus when I'm trying to preach the Word of God. I hope that while I'm preaching the Word of God, you would try to put just as much focus into it as what I'm trying to do, and hopefully together we would have a profitable time. But I've sat where you are enough times that I know that there's never been a full sermon that I gave my full, complete, undivided attention to. I know that in every sermon I've ever heard, I've thought about, uh, you know, something needing to be done at home. I've thought about some problem going on in my life or some problem in somebody else's life. I've thought about what's going to have to be done next week. And my mind begins to wander. And after, you know, a few moments, I circle back and say, well, I obviously missed something because everybody else is amening this, brother. And I don't know what they're amening because I missed it. Uh, why? Because my mind was not where it needed to be. Uh, so here the point is, it's one of the ways in which you and I purify our hearts before God. Remember he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One of the ways you and I purify our hearts before the Lord is to have a single mind toward him. Again, it's not complicated at all. A lot of folks really want to make things in the word of God very complex. They're very simple. If you go into a Christian bookstore today, I don't know how many uh, books you could probably find on how to live a godly life. I don't understand that. I don't understand. Uh, I never really have enjoyed self-help books. Uh, they do not appeal to me. Uh, I don't think I even own one as far as I know. Uh, maybe do. I, I, I don't want to say it too firm. But self-help books. Uh, it's amazing to me, and especially when it comes to Christianity and godliness, why in the world do I need to go buy a bunch of books on how to live as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ when I have 66 books, all contained in one book, which is the Lord's book, that tells me exactly how I'm supposed to live. And I don't have to complicate matters. 
Now, it may be difficult to purify my heart in a sense of actually in activity doing it, but it is not complex in theory. It's very simple. See, the Lord realizes that you and I are sheep, and there's a reason the Bible calls us sheep, because a lot of times we get very confused. And a lot of times we make matters complicated that are not complicated. Uh, We just try to, it's just the nature of man to complicate things. You know why most of the laws that are written in the United States today uh, usually have uh, about 2,000 pages? Because there's folks that want to slide stuff in there to complicate things, uh, to benefit them, and to complicate your life. You know, one of the things that I'd like to see, and we've had a few people that were running for office talk about having a fair tax. I don't know how you make taxes fair, uh, but I would like a simplified tax code. I pay turbo tax every year, usually to the tune of about 200 bucks, to do my taxes. When it ought to be this simple. I made this. I owe this. Here's your check. It ought to be that simple. But it's not that simple. You know why it's not that simple? Because the federal government got involved, and they have written uh, the tax code, and IRS just has pages upon pages and upon pages. Zondervan Bible Company, by the way, for the benefit of preacher, every year, I used to buy it. I don't anymore because TurboTax keeps up with it. Every year, Zondervan Bible Company puts out a book for preachers just on the new tax laws that have developed that year. Brother Ronald buys it every year because he still does his taxes by hand. I do mine through TurboTax. He won't pay the 200 bucks. I just pay the 200 bucks. But uh, anyway, he buys that book. That's how I know that book exists, by the way, as Brother Ronald told me about it, encouraged me to buy it. I bought it one year, then I just used TurboTax. They take care of it. I don't have to keep up with it. But man constantly complicates things. God makes things very simple. Now, again, it may be hard to do, but it shouldn't be hard to understand. So again, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, obviously, every child of God is pure in heart. They're going to see the Lord when we pass away or Jesus comes back. We understand that, I believe. But also, I believe he's talking about seeing the Lord while we live here in this world. Paul says to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, but as it is written... I hath not seen, I hath not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God before prepared for him. He says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. He says, and yea, the spirit searcheth out the deep things of God. So here Paul says, it is written, I had not seen, neither has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for him. That's the natural man. Because Paul goes on and talks about the natural man. He lets us know that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, But he says he also lets us know that a spiritual man obviously must be born of the Spirit if we're going to understand spiritual things. But again, he says, I have not seen, neither has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. What's he talking about there? Naturally speaking, I hasn't seen anything that would draw them to the Lord, nor has the ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for him. He says, but God hath revealed them unto us. So there's some things you're able to see, you're able to hear, and you're able to understand. I hope you're able to see the Lord. 
Now I realize I've never seen his face. Moses wanted to see the face of the Lord, and the Lord told him that he could not see his face. He said, uh, you will not be able to see my glory. He says, but I will cause my goodness to pass by. He says, and he would remove his hand, of course, from the cleft of the rock where Moses be hid. And after God passed by, Moses would see the hinder parts of God. Uh, he says, for no man has seen my face and can live. So Moses wanted to see the face of God. He says, show me your glory. He says, I'll show you my goodness. Now, if you have a choice between seeing his glory or his goodness, well, I'm thankful I have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I trust I'll see his glory one day. But even when I stop and ponder about the things that God has done, I find it very glorious, and I'm able to see some of the glory of God. When I think about him giving his son for, my, uh, for the redemption of my life, uh, that's glorious, is it not? I mean, I'm able to see that and understand that, embrace that. And that's one of the ways that we're able to see God. A person who's pure in heart can see uh, how God has done that. You can read in the Word of God and see the attributes of God, the characteristics of God. And there's a lot about God you're able to see when you live uh, with a pure heart. Now again, every child of God has a pure heart given to them when they're born of the Spirit of God. But we're also commanded to keep it pure. And we do that once again by not having a double mind, but rather single-mindedly serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's move to the next verse very quickly. So, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. <clears throat> this chapter has told us already that blessed are they which are uh, poor in spirit. Blessed are they that are mourn, mourning. Blessed are the meat. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, he says, for they shall be filled. He goes, and he said, as we saw last week, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. As we mentioned last week, as you read down through what Jesus says, it's just like a, a stair step just building upon itself. So first of all, the child of God is blessed when he understands that he is poor in spirit. Nothing that he can bring before God in a spiritual way to be uh, pleasing to God. He says, blessed are they that mourn. What does he mean by that? Those who, I believe, grieve over their sin and the fact that they're sinners. He says, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He said, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, that desire to live like the Lord. He says, for they shall be filled. He said, blessed are the merciful. Why are the merciful blessed? He said, because really we're trying to uh, mirror the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has been great in his mercy and you and I who have obtained mercy ought to be willing to show mercy. And when we show mercy, we obtain more mercy. Now he says, uh, blessed are uh, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then you go on, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You know the main reason the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world was to make peace. That's the main reason that Jesus came into this world. Now he came to send a sword, as he said. Uh, there was some judgment that was going to be by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that. But the primary purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this world was to grant peace. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. Notice what it says. For it pleased the Father that in Him, meaning Jesus, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say whether it be things in earth or things in heaven. There were people in heaven that still had to be reconciled to God by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also things in earth. There's still people on earth that also need to be reconciled. So notice again he says, For it pleased the Father that in him Jesus should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, 
by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things unto himself, God the Father. He says, by him, Jesus, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So the primary reason that Jesus came to this world was to make peace. One something Elder Michael Gowen said a number of years ago, a very simple statement, but it's always stood with me. He said, the life of a peacemaker is anything but peaceful. Because you know where the peacemaker has to go? The peacemaker has to go where the strife is. And so going where the strife is, to be a peacemaker, one who makes peace, is going to usually not live a very peaceable life. Well, where the Lord Jesus went to make peace, you think that was peaceable for him? He had to endure the wrath of God. He had to endure the scorn of men. Uh, he was made a curse because it says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Well, what was the joy that was set before him? That you and I would be reconciled to God by the death of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, seeing the ultimate uh, reality of us being reconciled to God through his death, he was willing to despise the shame, endure the cross, uh, be made a curse for you and I so that you and I would be reconciled. That means uh, made at one again with God. But Jesus had to go to a very dark place, a very uh, devilish place, uh, a very hard place in order to make peace. We find in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, he talks about this as well. But here he talks specifically about Jesus making peace between two different types of folks. He's not talking about the righteous and the wicked. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. See, before the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world and was put to death, there was a division between Jew and Gentile. And they lived separately and would have lived separately. Uh, but the Lord Jesus Christ removed some things out of the way uh, so that whether we were Jew or whether we were Gentile, we're able to understand that we belong to the family of God and uh, we belong to Him. And thankfully the news of uh, salvation by the grace of Almighty God was not reserved to the Jew only, uh, but the door of the Gospel was opened also uh, to the Gentile as well. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this in verse 12. He says that at that time, talking about before Jesus came to the world, he said that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Uh, he says that's where we were as Gentile people. He says, but now, I love that, but that was then. He says, but this is now. He says, but now. In Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh. That means brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. He says, for he is our peace. For he is our peace who hath made both one, meaning both Jew and Gentile one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. That which separated us before, uh, Jesus took it out of the way. He says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. What was the enmity? He said, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain or two, one new man so making peace. What stood in the way between the Jew and the Gentile? There was a writing of commandments. There was a law of commandments contained in ordinances that were given to Moses that by and large kept the Gentile out of the way. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. They were not part of the commonwealth of Israel. What's that word commonwealth mean? It means enjoying uh, the wealth of God commonly together. We were not part of that in the Old Testament system. But now he says, He, Jesus, is our peace, who had made both one and had broken down the middle wall of partition. How do you do that? He abolished in his flesh. 
He abolished at Calvary, he says, the enmity, that which stood between, he says, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make it himself of twain one new man. So, making peace. He did this and it made peace. He says that he might reconcile both. See, the Jew wasn't at peace with the Lord and neither was the Gentile. Because the Jew couldn't do it by the law and we didn't have the law to do it by even if we could do it by the law. He says, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came, and notice this, and preached peace. And preached peace to you which were far off, and to them that were nigh. Meaning to the Jew who was near, and to the Gentile who was far off. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he lived his life making peace. He came to this world to make peace. I've already mentioned that the life of a peacemaker is rarely peaceful. But the benefit is once peace is made, what a blessing it is to the children of God who are able to enjoy it. Aren't you thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to go to the hard place, the dark place, the difficult place to make peace between you and God so that you're able to be at peace with God now through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, Therefore being justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Romans chapter 14, verse 19, Paul says this, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. That tells me there's things that make for war and division and contention. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. God's not the author of division. God's not the author of things that uh, split folks up. He says, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace among the churches. So if something's going on that's preventing peace among the church here or among the churches in an area, there's something that's been introduced by Satan or man or both that's preventing folks from being in peace. Because God's not the author of confusion, but of peace in the churches. So now again, he says in verse 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify, that means build up another. So if something you're going to say or do is going to tear somebody down, that's not making peace. But if what you're saying or doing is building somebody up, that's the things that make for peace. As I close out this morning, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. As he's closing out his second epistle, most likely never to speak to the Corinthians again. Well, what would you say? What would I say if I knew I'd never speak to you again? If something was going to happen in my life that I'd never see you again, never get to speak to you again, what would I say? Um, Charles Spurgeon used to say that every time a man gets set to preach, he ought to preach as a dying man to dying men. You know, that gets to the heart of the matter. If you think you're a dying man never to speak again, and you think you're talking to dying men that'll never hear again, you're going to get to the heart of what really matters. I've always liked that quote. Get up every time to preach as a dying man to dying men. Anyway, here the Apostle Paul says, finally, brethren, farewell. It means farewell in the sense that I hope all goes well with you for the rest of your days. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. He says, be perfect. Now understand when the Bible says perfect, it, doesn't, it, it takes under, into understanding that you and I will never fully be perfect. The word there means complete. He says, be complete, be a faithful disciple in every area of your life. He says, finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect. He says, be of good comfort, 
be of one mind, live in peace. I want to be a peacemaker because it follows the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, Jesus came to make peace. You know why? So that he could live in peace. Jesus didn't come into conflict so that he would ever be in conflict. He came to make peace so that he could live in peace. And one of these days, we're going to live with the Lord in peace because he came and made peace. So again, he says, finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. So again, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. A person who's pure in heart is also a person who is going to do all they can to try to make peace. When they see things are not in a peaceful way, they'll try to follow the word of God and step in and do things that will help bring peace and help make peace. And once peace is made, then the Bible enjoins us to live in peace. May God bless you today as our prayer.